Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. It was said, Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, in our world today, Lord, this topic of divorce is so easily done, but Lord... There's so much depth to what your word says. Lord, I pray that each and every one of our hearts will be open to your truth. Allow your spirit to speak to us about this topic of divorce. Lord, we thank you for your love, for your forgiving spirit, for your desire of restoration. Lord, we pray that you will guide us in our understanding of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll be honest with you, this is one of the most difficult topics that a pastor ever preaches about because divorce has impacted pretty much every single person here and in our world. My dad, his parents were divorced, which is almost unheard of in his day. They were divorced at a very, he, while he was a young age. He and his sister were basically raised by his grandparents. So he understood the tragedy of divorce in his family. My mom's parents probably should have been divorced. They really uh, lived totally separate lives. My granddad traveled all the time, and when he came home, they felt, felt like cats and dogs. And so my mom understood the tensions of a family that was at odds with each other. You have probably had some difficulties or some experiences with either divorce or uh, turmoil within marriage, uh, whether personally or through your own family. This is a very difficult topic to deal with. Number one, our society doesn't even think much about divorce. Basically, our, our society says it's no big deal. If you get tired of somebody, just divorce them and start over. It's no big deal. But it is a big deal. According to God's word, it's a big deal. And that's what I'm going to be focused on. What does God say about this topic? I'm not going to be sharing what I think. I'm going to be sharing what God says. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide us in our understanding of that. Divorce affects pretty much everybody. If you've gone through it, it affects uh, children's relationships with parents. We tend to somewhat choose sides. You usually have one parent that's the custodial parent. Uh, then the other tries to find some way of making some semblance of life still work. If the kids are already grown, then they still have this stress between mom and dad. You know, can we be in the same room together? Can we do things together? Do I have to treat mom a different way than I treat dad or vice versa? Your friends, couples that you have been friends with, as husband and wife, now some would have to choose who do we side with. 
who do we get to visit with? These are difficult situations. And divorce is not a simple matter like our world presents it. But before we can even get to verses 31 and 32, we've got to look at something that divorce is based on. Divorce is based on marriage. You can't get a divorce without being married, right? So we're going to look to see what the Word of God says about marriage. We've got to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had uh, taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And Moses, being led by God, continued in the understanding of this relationship. And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Do you understand what that last part means? They shall become one flesh. The two shall join together to become one. Did Jesus believe this? Well, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, Jesus is speaking, and he says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus basically repeats what the Old Testament says and even adds to it, if God puts you together, man should not have any power to separate you. Now, dealing with the issue of divorce. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. This is God speaking. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garments with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. See, the Bible conveys how serious God takes marriage. God takes marriage very seriously. He ordained it. He was the one that basically performed that first wedding ceremony in the Garden of Eden where he brought man and woman together and said, you, the two of you, are now one flesh. And we also look and see how God uses the terminology of marriage. Basically, if you go through the Old Testament, he actually claims that Israel became adulterers against him. In other words, he was showing his relationship with Israel as a marriage relationship because when Israel turned their backs on God and began worshiping false gods, he basically called them adulterers. And Jesus in the New Testament calls the church the bride of Christ. Do you understand that God sees our relationship, our intimate relationship with him as a marriage relationship? And he takes it extremely seriously. He ordained marriage. Marriage is a sacred institution in God's eyes. And we see that God is serious about it. Now we look and we see that this is a covenant relationship. God made a covenant with Israel, and he makes a new covenant with his church. And with him looking at marriage as being equal to the relationship he has in the Old Testament with Israel and the New Testament with the church, it is a covenant relationship. 
If your marriage was, if your wedding was anything like mine and Susan's, we stood before a minister of the gospel and we pledged our vows to each other. Now, most of y'all think that's all that we did or that's all that you did. We, we made vows to each other. But we stood before a man of God and we pledged our vows to man as well as to God. Our vows were not just to each other. Our vows were to God himself. He was present in our ceremony and he holds those vows sacred. And so we look at marriage as being sacred in God's eyes for he ordained it. It's serious because he sees it as a covenant relationship and he pictures it as the relationship that he has with his children. So question that was asked Jesus is divorce truly even allowed? If you look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 7 through 9, some men came to Jesus and said, Then say to, they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses did not command but permitted you to divorce your wives. From the beginning it was not it has not been this way. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So while divorce is not God's idea nor his ideal, he allowed divorce to be a part of human history. Let me tell you a couple of things that you may not even think about. Why would God allow divorce? Allow, not command, but allow divorce. Well, do you know what the alternative to divorce was in the Old Testament? If we look at the only reason for divorce is adultery, what was God's first penalty for adultery? To be stoned to death. God permitted divorce as an alternative to having your spouse killed by being stoned. You say, is that true? Well, go back to the story of Jesus' birth. Go back to, to Mary becoming pregnant with a child and Joseph saying, that's not my child. Do you remember what Joseph said? He said, I have chosen to put her away quietly. He had the right under Israel's laws to have her stoned. Even in the betrothal period, it was right for him to have brought charges against her and had her stoned to death, but he chose not to do that. Instead, he quietly was going to put her away. Basically, he was going to be going through the divorce process because that relationship, even in the betrothal period, could not end without divorce. So he's going to put her away quietly. Send her away, he's going to divorce her. That was until the angel spoke to him in a dream and says, Joseph, that which is Mary is not of man. It is of the Holy Spirit. And then he understood and he knew that God had called him to be the earthly father of this Messiah. So we look and we see that basically God did the same thing with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel were adulterers against God. They went after foreign gods. They worshiped foreign gods. 
God had all the right in the world and in heaven to annihilate the Israelites. But instead, he basically let them go quietly away. You said, what? Yeah. The nation of Judah was captured by Syria, taken into captivity. The nation of Israel was captured by Babylon and taken into captivity. He allowed them to be separated from him as a punishment for their adulterous relationship with him. God is serious about this covenant relationship. Let's get to our focal passage. Pick up verse 31. It was said, we've dealt with this in the last three weeks. Basically what Jesus is saying is, here is what the rabbis, here's what the legal teachers are saying. And basically they're saying, you, if you send your wife away, you must write a certificate of divorce. Well, what's the purpose of this certificate of divorce? Well, first of all, we got to understand why a person could offer this certificate of divorce. The certificate of divorce was basically to say, our relationship is now null and void. This covenant relationship that we have as husband and wife is now null and void. But the question that kept being asked Jesus is, you know, by what standards can this happen? Well, there were two primary rabbinical ways of thinking. One was led by Hillel, and the other one was by Shammai. Hillel took basically a very liberal approach. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 2, this is really the first talkings about divorce. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. And she leaves the house and goes uh, and becomes another man's wife. Their debate was, what does that word indecency mean? Well, Hillel basically says, it can mean anything. It can mean any kind of discretion, even up to burning your meal. If I don't like what you do in my household, I have the right to divorce you for any reason, basically. That's his way of thinking, and that's what he taught many in the rabbinical school that he led. These are all contemporaries of Jesus, by the way. Now, if that happened, how many, how many of us would already be divorced? <laughs> all of us, right? But then Shammai was more strict in his understanding. And he basically said, no, this word indecency only refers to marital infidelity, adultery, fornication, having relationships outside of marriage. And that's basically what Jesus is saying here as well. This certificate, what was this certificate for? Well, there's really two different things that it was used for. One was a cooling off period. If a husband could just walk into the house and smell a burnt meal and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and it'd be over, well, he would have done it in the heartbeat, in the moment of his frustration, and it would have been done. But because the law says that you had to write a certificate of divorce, it means that he had to stop and think about what he's actually doing. He had to put pen to paper and to show the reason for divorce. He had to 
and otherwise get it past his rash decision and think about it. Well, what else was this certificate of divorce for? It was basically an opportunity for both parties to say this relationship is now annulled and we have the right to move on and have a, begin another relationship with someone else. But here's what Jesus says in verse 32, and he says it very clearly. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Notice the area of guilt. He says, I say to you, this is him saying, I'm speaking with the authority of God. I'm not quoting Hillel. I'm not quoting Shammai. I'm not quoting any other rabbi. I'm speaking with the voice of God. Then he says, that everyone who divorces his wife, except for this one reason of unchastity, he makes her commit adultery. How can a man force his wife to commit adultery? Well, you got to go back to the situation. Except for just very rare circumstances, most women were completely dependent on a man, the husband, to support their needs and for their family's needs. And so if a man, and let's just be real honest, let's go back to that time period, a woman did not have the right to divorce her husband. It was not part of their law. They, she could not do it. So in this situation, it's always the man who was divorcing his wife. And basically what it's saying is, if you divorce your wife for any other reason than infidelity, you are forcing her to become an adulteress. Well, why is that? Because she cannot survive life. She cannot raise her family. She cannot do anything without being married again. She has to have someone else to come along and to marry her and to take care of her and to provide for her needs and the needs of her children. So she's forced to go back into another relationship other than the one that she began with. So who's the guilty party? Not the wife, not the wife who's innocent of adultery, but the husband who has put her away because there was no true claim. There's no reason for it. Here's the reason why this is there. Because in God's eyes, they were still married. But he's not condemning the wife for remarrying. He's not condemning the man who marries her, even though technically they're both committing adultery. He's not condemning them. He's condemning the husband who has put his wife away for the wrong reasons. So we look and we see God's pretty serious about this. If a man in today's day, if a woman files for divorce for any other reason, other infidelity, it's not godly. It does not truly meet God's standards. So how do we deal with divorce today? It still happens. It's still very prevalent in our world. It's prevalent in our churches. For a while, the divorce rate within the church was pretty much equal with that those outside the church. 
According to claims, the divorce rate is down a little bit. But the only reason why it's down is because more couples are choosing never to get married in the first place. They just cohabitate and they live together. And then when they get tired of each other, there's no divorce to go through. They just split up and go their own separate ways. It's not of God either, is it? But we look and we see how do we deal with this subject of divorce today? First of all, God's laws never change. What did Jesus say after the Beatitudes? He talked about the law of God. He says, we're not going to change the smallest letter or even the slightest stroke of the letter of the law. The moral law of God stands today just as it has since it was written. So God's law has not changed. His expectation of us as his children has not changed. But we as a church, we need to take a closer look, a closer examination of where we stand in our relationship with God. Are we changing God's laws? Are we weakening the law of God just to meet our own selfish desires? Well, marriage is still sacred in God's eyes. He ordained marriage from the very beginning. He made the husband and the wife one flesh, and he shows the serious nature of marriage. So how do we deal with divorce? How do we deal with it today? Well, first of all, it's still very prevalent. And let me, let me just tell you something. It's not the only sin we commit. And it is not the unpardonable, unpardonable sin. The only sin that's unpardonable is to reject Jesus as Savior and Lord. That is the only unpardonable sin. That's rejecting the drawing of the Holy Spirit to come to Christ as Savior and Lord. We look at divorce and we say, oh, that's a big one. That's a huge one. How can you ever get past it? Well, it's the same way we get past any problem in our life and our relationship with the Lord. We confess what we've done. We allow God to forgive us, to cleanse us, to restore us, and to make us right from this day forward in our relationship. Now, some people say, okay, well, if all i got to do is just say, okay, I'm going to do something really bad against God, and then he's going to have to forgive me and cleanse me and put me back in the right standing, you don't have the right relationship with God to begin with. God will not honor that. But when we go through something, divorce, and we know that the end result's not what God wanted, it's not the end of the world. God still loves you as his child. He still wants to have a right relationship with you. That's why we confess all of our sins before the Lord. That's why he is so willing to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness so that he can make us pure and holy in his sight once again and restore us to that right relationship with him. So divorce is not the end of the world, but it should never be looked at as simply an option in life. As a child of God, divorce really should not be in our vocabulary. We should do anything and everything we possibly can to keep that from happening. I've done some marriage counseling where people were to that point a divorce. And that's, by the time they come to the pastor, it's usually almost too late. They've already started talking about divorce. 
They're not saying we're having some problems in our marriage and we want to work on them so that we don't get to that point. That rarely ever happens. It's usually a last ditch effort to say, okay, we tried. We went to the pastor and it didn't work. So here we are. Folks, our relationship with mankind, especially with our spouse, is sacred. God wants us, let's put it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty sacred. And then when God says, and the two shall become one, that's even more sacred. God wants us to be what he desires us to be. So when divorce becomes a part of reality, it's not the end of the world, but there are a lot of consequences that we have to deal with. Just like if I, in anger, killed someone, I can be forgiven for that. God would still restore me in a right relationship with him, but there would be lifelong consequences. I may spend the rest of my life in jail for it. I may lose respect of those who have respected me before. There will be and can be long-term consequences. Those are things we need to think about before we ever get to the point where we start thinking about divorce. But we must understand, divorce is just another flaw of man. It's not the end of the world. God still loves you. God still wants to have a right relationship with you. God still is in the forgiving business and the restoration business and the cleansing business, and he will continue to do that in your life. So we must remember marriage is sacred to God. He wants it to work. Now, I know I've heard so many stories, but we weren't Christians when we got married, or we didn't think about this when we made those vows. We didn't realize we were making vows to God. So the decision we made back then should not be held against us now. We should be able to be free to, to change our choices. Well, according to the world standards, you are free to change your choices. And there's really no worldly consequence to it other than losing some friends and having some issues with in-laws or outlaws, however you want to look at it. But once you become a child of God, you have to look at everything through the eyes of God. And for God, relationship in marriage is sacred. Now, I don't know where you are in your life. I know we have some divorced people in our congregation. This is not a condemnation towards you in any form or fashion. This is where we are in the Word of God. And I cannot skip over it. I'm just simply sharing with you God's view of marriage and God's view of divorce. But God is also the God of love, compassion, forgiveness, mercy, grace, restoration. And he, in the end, can give us victory. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, as we come to you in prayer today, well, we realize that divorce is prevalent in our world.
is prevalent in our churches. And Lord, it is something that we, as your children, should do all that we can to keep from happening. But Lord, it was something that was being dealt with from the very beginning of time. All the way back in Deuteronomy, people were being divorced. In Jesus' day, people were going through divorce. In our day, people are going through divorce. Lord, thank you that this is not the end of our relationship with you or our relationship with others. But Lord, it is still your desire for us to fight as hard as we can or to restore a relationship in marriage instead of fighting against it. Lord, may we be found faithful, allowing your Holy Spirit to be the guiding force, knowing that, Lord, you are our strength and that you are our victor. Lord, guide us. Help us, Lord, to be compassionate towards those who are going through or have gone through a divorce. Help us to lift them up and, Lord, to encourage them, to help them to know that God still loves them, that he has a desire to be God of their lives continuously. Or may we be found faithful to you and to your word and your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.